If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. Hello and welcome to the No Need for Prince Charming podcast. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by City Fertility. With a diverse range of sperm donors to choose from and no waiting time, City Fertility are ready to help you fulfill your dreams of growing your family, just like they helped me grow mine. Visit City Fertility today to learn more. So welcome to the podcast today, Sonia. I'd love to start by understanding a little bit about who you were before you became a mum. Sure. Gosh, it's uh, already feels like a lifetime ago, even though it's only four and a half months ago that I didn't have Pippin or Pip for short. Mm-hmm. Um, who was I? I was a teacher. Well, I am a teacher, um, a primary aged teacher um, from New Zealand, but hadn't lived there for a really long time. Um, so I left New Zealand when I was 11 and uh, my family lived in multiple different countries around the world, um, which probably shaped me quite a lot um I studied law before I became a teacher and I did that in London and England um but I think deep down I always knew well maybe I didn't know but I I, law was never right for me and so I sort of got all the way through my studies and qualified as a barrister and and then started working as a teacher assistant um makes sense (laughs) Yeah, as you do. <laughs> I needed money. Um, and just realized that actually, yeah, that was that was more my calling to work with kids. Uh, and I think probably that that need to be around kids and that love for children is what led me to pursue being a mum by myself. Wow. And so was there a particular moment where you decided this was the path for you? What led you to become a solo mum by choice? I think I don't think there was a particular moment, but I think my entire life I've known I had to be a mum. And so, you know, one of my sisters was born when I was two. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think that ignited my love of babies and children. And um, and then my other sister was born when I was six and a half. And I think I saw myself as her mother and she <laughs> would do the same thing. Um, much to her disdain. But <laughs> ever since then, I've just just loved babies and children. Um, And so right from, I mean, probably from being sort of 18 or 20, I was saying to my family and saying to my friends, 
you know, if I don't meet the right person by the time I'm X age, um, I'm going to have a baby by myself. Um, and I had no idea what that actually looked like or meant. And I don't think, I don't think I actually believed that's what my future held. Um, I think I, I thought I would meet somebody and get married and then have children as we all do, or as most do. Um, but it was always something I knew was a possibility. I knew I would rather do it on my own than not be a mum from a very young age. Um, so yeah, there wasn't a moment as such, but I, I think it was more at what point do I pull the pin and say, yeah, let's actually do it. Yeah. And when was that? Um, so during COVID, I reckon was probably when it changed because I'm, you know, I'm young, I guess, as far as solo mums go. I'm only 31. Um, Spring chicken. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All the fun ahead of me. Um, but I think, I mean, COVID changed so much for so many. Um, and I think it just, it, it just made me think more about what I really wanted from life. Um, and then I had some very close friends who had a baby and, um, other friends were having babies and I sort of didn't feel like I was getting any closer to meeting the right person. And so, and I was starting to see, you know, okay, well, if I meet the right person now and I want to know them for, you know, six months to a year before we get engaged, and then I want to be engaged for six months to a year. And then I want to be married for a year or two years. And suddenly it was like, well, you know, I might be closer to 40 by the time all of that happens if I meet someone soon. Um, and We're so, constantly doing that maths, aren't we? Oh, constantly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and this is all in an ideal world where all of those things go perfectly and you meet the right person tomorrow. Um, and it just, I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> the truth of it was that felt like a lot of work and I was just ready to be a mum. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and I think I sort of, um, you know, I'd always talked about it casually with my family. Um, and I remember being on a walk with them one afternoon. It must have been between lockdowns or at the end of the last lockdown. I've got no idea. Um, and bringing it up more seriously and saying, and I think I'd listened to, um, I think it was one of your podcast episodes and it had been about um, someone had said that they'd, they'd moved home for a few months after having their baby by themselves. And, and I suddenly went, Oh yeah, I could do that. If my family were willing to, you know, support me through it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I brought it up a bit more seriously with my family and they just jumped on board. Um, And I think as soon as they didn't see it as a crazy idea, it didn't feel crazy to me anymore. And it was just exciting makes such a difference if they back you from the beginning, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And when people don't question it, because then you don't question it. Um, and so I think that's, yeah, that really helped. And same, you know, when I told my closest friends that that's something I was now actually thinking of starting seriously, and they just went, of course you are. We've been waiting for that to happen. And it was sort of, okay, it's the right path for me. So you made the decision. How long did it take to get Little Pip? Um, so I reckon I probably made the decision end of 2021 mm-hmm. or middle of 2021. Um, and then Pip was born, uh, May of this year, 2023. So not very long. 
You're pretty lucky with your journey. I was pretty lucky. It was, it took, um, you know, it wasn't first try or anything. Um, I did the sort of two IUIs that didn't work and, um, and then did a round of IVF, which was a real flop. Um, but then I was really lucky that the second round of IVF was really successful. And my first transfer from that was successful. So all in all, it was a pretty, not, it wasn't easy because fertility is never easy. Um, but compared to what some people go through, it was, it was relatively painless. And how did you find it at the time though, obviously a couple of negatives from the IUI and then the, the first round of IVF not going as you'd hoped? Hard. I think for me, it was the unknown. Um, like I had never tried to get pregnant without fertility treatments. So I didn't know how fertile I was. Um, and I had age on my side, so that was nice. But um, I think, you know, once you've had two IUIs and then a round of IVF that don't work, you start to think, I know certainly the thoughts that were in my head were IVF is what people turn to when they can't get pregnant. So if I'm not getting pregnant through IVF, there's no other option. That's it. Um, and so I think those thoughts I really struggled with because um, you don't have a crystal ball. No one can tell you when it is going to work. You know, in hindsight, I think, of course, I was going to get pregnant, but I didn't know that at the time. And so that was hard. Um, I was, yeah, I think come the second round of IVF, I was struggling with with that feeling. Do you have any some good support with, during that time or was there anything that you found that you did that helped with it? Because it can be very mentally taxing. Kind mm. Of. Mm. I think, um, I mean, I've always been somebody who... Um, bottles up emotions I think and tends to sort of push them down and deal with them on my own um so I probably did a bit too much of that um but certainly I mean I'm so lucky to have a really supportive family um who I'm really close to and confide in a lot and lean on a lot um and some some really good friends as well but I think if people haven't been through it it's quite a hard thing to understand um, so I know I had um, some colleagues and some a uh, couple of friends who had been through fertility treatments as well, and they were really helpful to talk to and and share um, the the emotions that I was feeling because they got it. Mm. Unfortunately, it's a pretty horrible club to be a member of, isn't it? Mm. Mm. It really is, and it's yeah, not something I would wish upon anyone, um, but certainly helpful if you can find people that have have been through it as well and how did you find selecting your donor um it's such a strange process um so I was always pretty clear that I wanted to use a clinic recruited donor mm -hmm. um I think I just um having been in the legal world um as my sort of first career uh, I understood the complexities of the law um, and I didn't want to get stuck in a situation where there was any grays, yeah, gray area or gray zone. I just wanted it yeah. to be super clear cut, super safe. Um, I can certainly see the benefit of knowing your donor. I think you can, you know, there's beauty in that as well. Um, but for me, the right choice was just keeping it really simple. Um, and so that was with through a clinic and um I chose my clinic based on the fact that there wasn't really a waiting time mm -hmm. uh, because I was doing it post-COVID. Some of the clinics, the wait time was six months to a year. Oh, wow. And I just wasn't, once I'd started, I just wanted to go. And yeah. so I wasn't willing to wait. Um, and it's sort of, I, I couldn't see a lot between the clinics. 
other than those wait times. You know, they all had pretty good success rates. And um, so that sort of helped me make my decision, I think, in terms of what clinic I went with. Um, and then uh, once I sort of got, you know, did the counselling and, and got onto the donor list, um, there were no Caucasian donors and I was pretty pretty set that I wanted to use a Caucasian donor. I think it's, you know, again, each to their own and everyone's got their own reasons for choosing the donor that they've gone with. Um, but I sort of saw it as already I've got quite a lot of explaining to do, not explaining to do, but, you know, for Pip, he will always probably be asked, you know, where's your dad or where's your other parent? Um, and so he'll always already have to explain that and I just thought if he looks really different to me that's another level of explaining first I have to do and then he'll have to do um and so it just again for me felt like the easier option to have a Caucasian donor um so I sort of I knew that that was high possibility when I got on the list that there wouldn't be any immediately um and that was fine I thought that's okay I can wait to see when some will come I'd been promised by the donor coordinator that some were on their way um and I think it wasn't long I reckon maybe a month that I was on the list and then they came up yeah, I think it's about a six-month process for actual donors so they might know that mm. there's somebody coming out of the the quarantine period to make sure they do enough donations and have all the testing and stuff done so exactly I think that was sort of all in the the process as I was coming onto the list and so I felt pretty comfortable with that um and then I made the decision really fast so I sort of it ended up being a bit of a gut decision which felt so scary at the time um because I thought my god this is probably the biggest decision I'll ever make in my life and I'm just taking a leap um, but I'd also been told that they come on and they go really fast. And so if you see somebody who you think you like, you just jump. Um, and, and that's basically what I did. Um, I think the donor came on one afternoon or evening and I saw him and then, you know, sort of read over the profile and went, oh, okay, I think this is okay. Um, sent some screenshots to my family of the letter and, you know, the most important information and said, what do you think? And, and they went, yeah, yeah, no, he sounds pretty good. And and then I was going around to um, some good friend's house that evening and I brought the profile with me and I said, oh, can you read this and let me know what you think? And and they said, funnily enough, I think they said, I, I, I wouldn't, I can't see you dating him, but you're not looking to date him. And I thought that was really good advice. Um, and yeah, and so then I think the next morning on my way to work, I, I uh, called up and said, yep, I'll take this donor. Um, and the rest is history. And you could use him for your IUIs and your IVF? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. There was no, at my clinic, there wasn't a um, a distinction, I don't think. Um, I think the only time there was was if it was, if the quality wasn't so good, then they would only be for IVF. But if they were allowed for IUI, then you could use them for both, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, which made it easier. I'm glad I didn't have to choose again. <laughs> yes, yes. You might have to wait a while for some more to come on as well back then. So exactly. So yeah, no. So it was yeah, again, pretty painless really, um, in terms of waiting and choosing and and you know, now I've got Pip and I think he's the best thing ever. So I feel like I chose well. <laughs> Obviously. I think it's kind of 
one of those things you feel you get the child and you're just like yeah that was definitely the right one because otherwise yeah, you can't imagine great. anything else so yeah and it's I think like it is a huge decision and I don't want to downplay that but I also think there's no perfect donor in the same way that there's no perfect partner um and so for me I sort of thought well you know if if most things are good then that's fine and there was sort of I certainly was prioritizing I mean I was prioritizing the fact that they were Caucasian and then I was prioritizing the fact that health was pretty important because I sort of figured well if I can help get my child on a front foot health wise why wouldn't I um but I also was aware of the fact that you know they only there's no requirement for them to disclose everything it's all an honesty based system and so and it's you also know. how much you know as well. Like if I had to answer the questions, I wouldn't be able to tell you the health of my grandparents. No way. Exactly. I'd have to ask my parents, my grandparents, and then for their parents, my great-grandparents wouldn't have a clue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, there's only so much you can know about that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, education was quite important to me. Um, I think I come from a family of teachers and educators and that felt quite important. Um And then funnily enough, something I wasn't expecting to be important but ended up being really important was the reasons for donating. Mm. I don't know why, but it really, there were some who their reasons for donating just immediately counted them out. Like anything that felt like they just wanted to pass on their genetics, um, I was just like, that's not what you're doing here. Um, Like my child is not a way for you to continue your legacy or whatever um so that and there were a surprising number of them who sort of you know they'd say oh, I don't know if I'll have children so I want my genes to keep going and that I had none of those oh <laughs> it just it gave me a bit of the ick like yeah, you know, that's not how I see a donor um and so that ended up being quite a significant factor in my decision making and then the letter um you know if they wrote well um and the message was nice that was pretty convincing that's a teacher coming out in you isn't it yeah I know <laughs> definite teacher in me <laughs> and so how did you find being pregnant and being a teacher did you get any strange reactions from any families were you pretty open with what you were doing or? I was actually um I sort of I made that decision from the outset that I was not going to hide it because I didn't see the point I'm proud of how I've become a mum and I think it's really brave and courageous anyone who does it and so I sort of am willing to shout it from the rooftops um and so yeah I was I teach in an all-girls school as well and so I saw it as a really empowering Mm. thing to do for girls um and so I told my class because of the timing of my pregnancy it was towards the end of the year school year that I was um sort of at a safe stage to start telling people um and I wanted my class to know before they left me um and so I actually told them in a spelling test I just added the word baby and then um and then said oh I'm having a baby and um they sort of there was moments of uh disbelief and then sort of wait are you telling us the truth or is that just a sentence for our spelling test? Um, (laughs) And then when they figured it out, it was just beautiful. Um, And then conveniently we'd been doing sexuality education for a few weeks leading up to my announcement. And so, you know, then came the questions of, Oh, but you're not married. And um, 
you know, where's the baby come from? And so then I was really open. I said I had been through IVF and um, I, I wanted to have a baby by myself. And so I got a donor and um, and it was just awesome how these young kids just went, okay, I'm like, yep, great, that's normal. Um, there were no questions, no disbelief, no um, sort of reactions of, oh, that's unusual or odd. And then really beautiful was um, we were walking somewhere later that day and, um, you know, as a teacher, you walk at the front of the line and I had a couple of them behind me and I could just hear them having a conversation and one of them said, oh, maybe when I'm older I'll just have a baby by myself. And it just warmed my heart because, yeah, it was you sort of think, oh, wow, am I inspiring, you know, some future kids here to just follow their dreams and take matters into their own hands. I love that. And all the parents the same? I think so. I think so. No one said anything to me. So, um, you know, I think if any of them didn't agree with it or found it a little bit odd, they just kept to themselves, which was the right thing to do. Um, and most, you know, were absolutely beautiful. Very important question. Pip, mm-hmm. what's behind the name? So um, so it's Pip for short. Pippin is his actual name. Um, and I think it's just there's no meaning behind it. It doesn't come from anybody. Um, I think it's just as a teacher, uh, you have associations with a lot of names. <laughs> there were none left, no. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I mean, luckily I taught at a girls' school, so most of the associations were with girls' names. Um, but I was pretty keen to have a slightly unusual name, um, something that was a bit unique and I hadn't heard a lot. Um, and so I had a list of those names when he was, when I was pregnant. I knew he was a boy um, from, you know, whenever it is the when you do the NOPT test. Um, so I sort of was able to work on my list for many, many weeks, um, but had not made any decisions by the time he was born. It just felt too massive. Um, and so I sort of went, okay, I'll know. When he's born, I'll know what his name is. I had maybe four or five names I really liked. Um, and then he was born and I still didn't know. <laughs> it still felt too big. Um, so I think he went maybe two or three days without a name. Um, but before he was born and even once he was born, Pippin was the one I just kept coming back to. Um, and then when I really looked at him, I went, yeah, that's that's your name. And I remember a midwife came into the room, um, you know, when he was a couple of days old. She said, oh, does he have a name? And, and I said, oh, not officially yet, but I'm thinking Pippin. Um, and she went, oh, I just love it. And mm-hmm. and then she started calling him Pippin. And as soon as she did that, I went, okay, now I've seen it and I've heard it. It works. Um, and that was that. Gorgeous. Hmm. So you took Pippin home. How was that first sort of fourth trimester? How did you cope with that? Um, in all honesty, I found it so much harder than I ever anticipated. Um, I have loved babies for as long as I can remember. And I just thought, oh, it's going to be the best having a newborn that I can just cuddle all day. And, you know, we'll just sit on the couch and I'll feed and then he'll sleep. And, um, yeah didn't didn't feel like that in reality um I think and even you know I'd listened to and read about people saying 
you know, sometimes it's not instant love when the baby's born and it's overwhelming and it takes time to develop. And, and I was just like, nah, not for me. I want this so badly. It will never happen. I'll just be completely head over heels in love straight from the get go. And I'll know exactly what to do. And I've read all the books and, um, yeah, I was naive. I think, you know, I'm sure it's like that for some people, but it wasn't like that for me. Um, I found it really, really hard. I was just in a, I think, a ball of overwhelm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I just remember having this thought over and over again of this is forever. You know, it's not like a job you don't like or something else that's hard and you can find a way out of it or through it. This is forever and it's, it's on me. Um, and, yeah, I just, yeah, it was, it was not how I expected to feel. Um, which is, I find it really sad to think now because I just, uh, the first eight weeks, maybe a complete blur, um, of, of feeling quite overwhelmed and sad, um, and scared, um, and still love, you know, I had this little perfect baby and I loved him more than anything, but it wasn't, um, it was like a protective love, you know, I would do anything to protect him and keep him safe. But at the same time, it was also this, yeah, just this, just this overwhelming feeling of responsibility. Um, and thankfully, you know, I had my mum with me the entire time um, because I don't know how I could have survived without her. Just interrupting this episode for a quick word from our sponsors. Not only have City Fertility sponsored this episode, they are also extending a very generous 20% off discount for all of my listeners. That's 20% off IUI, IVF, ICSI, as well as six months complimentary egg, sperm and embryo storage. If you're just starting out or about to undergo treatment to make your baby dreams come true, head to the show notes for my discount code and a link to their website for more information. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I'm super grateful to my family for all of their support. I, don't, I truly don't think I would have done this I think I already mentioned the fact that they they were right behind me from the moment I I mentioned doing it um and so I don't think I could have done it without them I had my dad was here every weekend um staying with us he was working during the weeks um I had my sisters coming to stay with me as well and helping on and off and just you know absolutely doting over Pip and being the best aunties possible so I was very lucky to have my mum staying with me for I think probably the first eight weeks um, before I moved down to to the peninsula to stay with my mum and dad. Um, yes. And yeah, and it was, I don't know how I would have survived without her in total honesty. Um, I think I was in such a, a fog and a haze um, of overwhelm and exhaustion and everything that comes with a newborn um, that caring for myself was absolutely bottom priority um and I'm not sure how I would have eaten or cleaned or any of that without her um so I was very very yeah exactly indebted to her um but yeah I think I, I don't know why I was you know why I felt so overwhelmed by it um I've sort of reflected on it lots now that I've come out of that haze and and I wonder if, like, I felt a lot of anxiety throughout pregnancy. Um, I think, you know, when you work hard and invest a lot to get pregnant, um, 
it can feel really scary to be pregnant. Um, and I was pretty scared, I think, the whole time. And I think I had a real wall of self-protection up that kept, you know, my brain kept telling me that something was going to go wrong. Um, and I think because of that, I didn't let myself picture enough what life with a baby was going to look like. Not that I think you can anticipate that before you've had a baby anyway. Um, I think that's, that's so common though. You're just like, hmm. until the child is actually here, I can't quite believe it's real. So I can't get that ahead of myself. Cause you, and I think everyone, so many horror stories, you get so worried that something's going to go wrong as well. So exactly. yeah. I think and you want to protect yourself from that. And, you know, by anticipating that something will go wrong, you feel like you're doing that. But um, yeah, consequently, I think, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that was part of the reason that I, I, I felt, I, I think, you know, looking back on it, I definitely had a bit of postnatal depression um, and just, yeah, the, the feeling that comes with having a new baby. Um, like I said, I don't think anything can actually prepare you for that feeling until you go through it. But I think if I were to do it again, let yourself picture it, let yourself imagine it and, um, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly, because it's not all sunshine and rainbows. I learned the hard way. You're very <laughs> much in the trenches for that those first 12 yeah. weeks though, aren't you? It's they don't hard. for nothing. Yeah. It's it's like nothing you'll ever experience you've ever experienced before and nothing you'll ever experience again, I don't think. Um, because I would imagine certainly what I've heard, you know, second, third is a different experience because you know what you're getting into and you know there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and I think you have so much more confidence in yourself as well because you've done it yes. once, but at the moment you're just so paranoid about what am I going to do, how am I going to break this child, you know. And I just send you home with no information. And, you know, I think Pip and I didn't have the easiest um, start together. It was, you know, he didn't feed very well. And so we were sent home before he'd even latched. Um, and so he got really dehydrated. And by day three, I'd taken him back into the hospital because oh, he hadn't so had a wet nappy. Um, and so, you know, that was completely scary because the only way to keep him alive was to feed him and I couldn't feed him and they hadn't put me on a feeding plan and I didn't have formula and, um, yeah, that was terrifying, and any you know we worked it out, and and that was fine. But um, if happening so early, that's going to really knock your confidence, and yeah, yeah, would exactly. not and, at all. Yeah, and they all said, I think you know, my mum said it to me, and I think the doctors said they said, you know, well done, trusting your instincts that something wasn't right. And but then I went, oh my god, but now I've got to really listen to my instincts, and what if my instincts are wrong, or if what if I miss something? <laughs> It's, it did. It felt like a lot of pressure um, and it, they feel so fragile and I don't think they are as fragile as they feel, but there is a fragility to them. And yeah, it's, it's really scary um, when all of that is on you to know that they're okay or not. Um, and when to trust your gut because, you know, everything feels like it could be something that's wrong. <laughs> every grunt, every you know, different nappy. Um, it's all scary. So it's, yeah. And then he didn't sleep very well either, which, you know, is not great for any new mum. Sort of, we're getting a bit of a routine now, but he's nearly five months. It's taken, taken time. And so when you're sleep deprived in a way you've never been sleep deprived before, I think everything's going to feel overwhelming. <laughs> so there's almost five weeks, five weeks, five months now you're feeling... Yeah more on top of things 
yeah, getting there. Today was a hard day with immunizations and blood tests and things. Um, but yeah, we're getting there. I think, um, I mean, touch wood, I never like to say that anything's going well because as soon as I say it, it flips. <laughs> but we seem to be finding a bit more of a routine. And, you know, as a teacher and a type A personality, I love routine. I love predictability. I love being able to make a plan. And I think that's probably something I struggled with as well at the start was suddenly nothing was in my control. Um, you know nothing's in your control ever again. Fantastic. <laughs> give up on that one. Great. Can't wait. But I think I've learned to relinquish that a little bit better. Um, but as well, he's become a bit more predictable. Um, you know, it's not all completely unknown. Um, we sort of have a bit more rhythm to our days, which I'm enjoying. And how do you think becoming a mum has changed you as a woman? Oh, hard question. I love throwing this one. Yeah, because I feel so fundamentally different than I did. And yet it's really hard to put my finger on how, other than I'm a mum. But what does that actually mean? Um, I think, well, like I say, I've I've learnt to relinquish control. Um, I think one thing I found really hard was, I felt a lot of um, mourning for my old life, which I didn't, again, not something I anticipated because I was so desperate to be a mum. I just thought it would be the most wonderful thing ever. But suddenly, you know, not being able to pop to the supermarket when I wanted to and everything having to be timed around a nap and um, all of those little things, I found that quite hard, not having that control over my time and and my day. but I've learned, I'm learning to embrace that um, and to enjoy it. Um, in terms of how, yeah, how I've changed, I think just having a greater purpose, um, like suddenly, you know, my my entire day revolves around making sure that he's okay and he's happy and, and you know, he's been a little bit cranky the last few days because I think his teeth are coming in. So now when I get the smiles or he does his little gooing and garring and, and, you know, no, he is still okay. That's suddenly my purpose. That's all that matters. Um, and I really feel that. And when he's sad and, you know, the only thing that makes him feel better is a cuddle um, or a feed and, and I'm the only person that can do that. Um, that's pretty amazing. And that's what I always dreamed of. So yeah, having that little person who just, you are their whole world um is yeah was the dream and it's every bit as good as I dreamed it would be (laughs) and it's probably a little bit early but have you given thought about whether you want to have siblings for Pip Uh, if you'd asked me before I had Pip I would have said definitely Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm one of three and so you know I know life with siblings and I love the sibling relationship and um having just been through the trenches it's unknown so um my second round of IVF was successful like I said and I've actually got I think I've got eight embryos in the freezer oh wow yeah so after the first one not working that's massive yeah yeah first one I got one very mediocre embryo that did not implant was a complete flop and then yeah second round was just completely different um slight tweaks the medications worked for me so um yeah got nine embryos one of which is pip and the rest are 
sitting in the freezer. So definitely not at a stage where I'm thinking about giving them up. Um, like I'm quite happy to keep paying for them to stay in storage for now, but unknown whether I'll have another. I think at this stage, I'm very happy with just one. Um, but, you know, give it a few years and I'll have forgotten how hard the new stage was and <laughs> ask me again. I don't know what the answer will be. Yeah, I really, I'm really a couple of years and see what's happened. That's it. Watch the space, I think. And I know it's still very early days, but have you given much thought about um, what you do about the donor or potential donor siblings? Um, Not a huge amount. I sort of, I think I want to follow Pip's lead a lot when he's older and understands it. Um, I know that, you know, I'm going to be completely upfront with him before he, you know, we're already reading the the donor picture books and um of which there are so many beautiful ones including my perfect family which we love well I love I don't know if he loves it yet but it's must be the best one obviously exactly um so you know I've, in terms of his knowledge that he's donor conceived um that will be upfront and open right from the get-go um but yeah I think I I'm not going to have any ideas about what reaching out to the donor or donor siblings will look like yet because I want to know how Pip wants to deal with that. Um, and so even little things, like I know um, when he was born and you write to the clinic to let them know that you've had a baby and um, and they said to me, uh, you know, it's up to you, but you can send a photo uh, that, that we will pass on to the donor if you want to. Um, and I haven't because that was all too new and I couldn't even, you know, make decisions at that stage. Um, and I still don't know whether I want to or not. And I think it's, yeah, you know, this sort of privacy element to it. Um, I haven't actually heard of anyone else having that experience. Huh? Yeah, I quite like it in a way because, you know, when I think about it, Pip only exists because of the generosity of the donor. Mm. Um, and so for the donor to be able to see, you know, this is what, your donation created this is you know this little miracle that you allowed to happen um I love that because I'll you know forever be indebted to the donor um but at the same time the donor is the donor and I'm not looking for anyone to have a role in Pip's life at the moment um so again yeah it's a watch the space situation I think I'll see see what Pip sort of seems to want as he grows up and that's the same for donor siblings? I think so. I think I'm more, more open to meeting donor siblings, especially if there are other donor siblings of solo mums. Mm. Um, I think, you know, having been through this journey in the same way and there being possible children who have this connection, that's quite beautiful. Um, and especially if I don't go on to have another child, it'd be lovely for Pip to have you know, and I don't, it depends how you view a sibling, I guess, whether a sibling is genetic or whether it's by being raised in the same household or there are lots of different families, as we know. Um, so, yeah, depending on how you define a sibling, I'm not sure I'd call them that. Um, but, you know, someone who we have a special connection with could be quite lovely. Yeah. I do sort of think with the community, especially in Victoria, of solo mums that 
we're no doubt going to bump into someone who's yeah. used the same donor by accident as well. Especially once you start realizing you're at the same clinic or you had treatment at a similar time and it's a small, small world. <laughs> small world, yes. And if you could look back on your journey now, is there anything that you think you might have done differently knowing what you know now? Um, I think preparing for postpartum. Um I don't know. I mean, I say that, but I don't know what I would have done, how I would have done it differently because I read the books and I listened to the podcasts and I thought I was really well versed in it. Um, but I think, I think being more open to it, not being sunshine and rainbows. I think I just buried my head in the sand a bit and just thought it would be perfect um, because I wanted it badly enough. Um, but I've just, I've learned that it's, you know, you don't know how you're going to feel with all those hormones and sleep deprivation and new experiences. Um, so I think, yeah, just being really prepared for that, I probably would have done differently. Um, and talking, I think probably being more honest about the anxiety I felt in pregnancy as well. Yeah. Um, I don't think I talked to people very openly about that. And so consequently it, you know, it sort of festered a little bit. Um, whereas maybe if I'd been a bit more open and honest about that, I could have dealt with that a little bit better. Um, it can be hard I, to recognize you're even feeling that way though, can't it? I, exactly. About it, so. yeah. yeah. And you just want to be happy that you're pregnant and, and enjoy it, which I did. Um, but yeah, there was that worry at the same time. There's almost a bit of guilt if you're not enjoying it as well. Mm. And so you, you just kind of bury those feelings and go, no, that's not really there. I just yeah. need to be happy that I'm pregnant. That's right. That's yeah. right. Um, but no, I think, you know, ultimately everything that I did led to PIP, um, as I know so many people on the podcast have said, you can't imagine changing anything because then you wouldn't have your little human. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm glad I started when I did. Um, I sort of, I think when I was younger, my deadline was 35. You know, if I haven't met someone by 35, that's when I would start. Um, but yeah, I sort of, I just was ready. Um, and I think if you're ready, follow that dream uh, because you don't know what will happen in the future. So yeah. I think the couple of years out for COVID definitely made people rethink that as well. If they were thinking older, it's like, yeah, you're stuck in this forever. So, <laughs> and reevaluating priorities and what's important in life was certainly the case for me. And is there any advice you'd give to anyone who's just starting out or working out if this is the right journey for them? Um, I think making sure you've got a great support network. Um, I know people do it completely on their own, um, and that's incredible. Um, but I think it's. I, I couldn't have done it on my own. Um, and I knew that going into it, you know, I didn't, part of the reason it suddenly became realistic for me was when my family were behind me um, and, and supportive and encouraging of the decision. Um, so for me, knowing that they were there to lean on um, was hugely important. And I didn't even realize how important that was going to be until Pip was born. Um, in terms of deciding to do it, I think, if you're contemplating it, it's important to you. And so, you know, pursue that. Um, and even if that means getting fertility tested and whatnot, um, just so that, you know, 
you know, how much time you've got. Um, yeah, don't ignore it. I think it's um, it's very, you know, we all have a body clock. Um, we've all got time's not on our side as women, unfortunately, uh, and it's not something you can get back once the time has passed. And so, um, yeah, if you're thinking about doing it, don't squash that feeling. Um, even if you don't feel ready to do it, just sort of, you know, start putting the feelers out and working out what it looks like and I think if you're listening to your podcast, you're already thinking about it. And so <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> follow that dream because it's it's pretty amazing. And that's from someone who's only just got out of the trenches. So it must be exactly. pretty cool. Exactly. Oh, and never once was there, you know, a moment of regret. Um, as much as I mourned the freedom of my life before Pip, um, you know, I would never, ever have changed it for not having Pip. So you know, that's uh, that's coming from someone who really struggled at the start. I still didn't regret it. And what's the one thing you're really looking forward to in you and Pip's future? Oh, so many things. Um, Christmas this year is something I'm really excited about. I love Christmas um, and I've always loved it. So the idea that this year I get to celebrate it with my own child is just beyond exciting. Not that he's going to remember it or understand it this year, but that doesn't matter this year. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Me and the family. Um, Travelling. I think we're going to New Zealand actually um, in October, um, which is exciting and scary at the same time, travelling on my own with a baby. Um, but, you know, my whole life was travel. And so I'm really excited to be able to expose Pip to those experiences as well and to have a buddy for traveling with you know it's that's going to be really fun um and then I think just watching him grow um I think we were talking about before we started recording you know once their little interests and personalities and things start to come out um I just can't wait to see that you know he's already changed so much in not even five months um I can't wait to you know he's talking and walking and um becoming yeah like a real little person <laughs> pretty cool you've got a lot to look forward to oh I know it's pretty special we're pretty lucky well thank you so much Sonia for sharing your story and I look forward to catching up with you in a couple of years and seeing if number two does come along or not <laughs> absolutely and thank you thank you for giving me the opportunity to share our story so far I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, and leave a like, a review, or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.